Are you a hybrid athlete who wants to learn more about how to combine your strength and endurance training? Well, I've written a new book, The Science of Hybrid Training. In this book, I provide insight into the misconceptions surrounding strength and endurance training by distilling the past 50 years of research and drawing on the conversations I had with great scientists, coaches, and athletes on the Progress Theory podcast. This book is essential reading for hybrid athletes and coaches who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now, let's get into the show. Hello, podcast listeners. It's Phil here, and welcome to episode two of the Progress Theory Roundtable. Now, in today's episode, myself, Daryl, and Matt will be discussing the rise in popularity of functional fitness, or CrossFit, whichever brand you're loyal to. Now, since CrossFit started around 2006, 2007, it's really blown up in popularity, to the point where, along with the development of social media, we've got this new craze of functional fitness. And it seems to be that it's found a way of bridging the gap between health, competitive fitness, and community. And from that, it's created this huge cultural shift in our approach to training. So that is the aim of today's podcast. We're going to be discussing how has functional fitness got so popular And let's think about it. Really, it's not slowing down. So how far can it go? Can it reach the Olympics? And what about the athletes themselves? You've got Matt and Tia Claire Toomey, uh, Matt Fraser, sorry. And they seem to be absolutely dominant. But how far can they go? Are the weights going to go up? Are Are the events going to be more and more extreme? And how has this led to this cultural shift in training? Most people, more and more people now want to be training as a generalist to the point where they are physically ready to take on any challenge that happens to them. More and more people are training this way. So is this going to affect how we approach training for other sports or other areas of life? Loads to discuss here. So join us on episode two of the Progress Theory Roundtable. Back. Rant away, mate. Go. Yeah. So let me let me just start. Like we've we've just before this podcast started, we started talking about the things that we wanted to cover. Um, obviously, this is all about sort of CrossFit slash functional fitness. You know, functional fitness is often used as a bit of an umbrella term for that style of training or that training with methodology. I guess it was originally CrossFit, but then it's, you know, a lot of other companies have spawned out of it. So you've got like the turf games, you've got national fitness games. Um, and then when we're discussing like the term, Daryl was like, I hate that term. I was like, right, that's what we're starting with. Daryl, why do you hate the term functional fitness? Um, wow. So let's just look at the definition, shall we? They're yeah. very, they're very similar in what they are. So I've got them up now. I was just thought I'd get them up before this podcast so I could use something. So just on the Cambridge Dictionary website, um, functional, uh, designed to be practical and useful rather than attractive is one or, um, performing a particular operation there's there's a there's a few on there 
um, fitness, the condition of being physically strong and healthy. And there's, there's one further down, how suitable someone or something is. And I think that's very similar to the functional definition, right? Mm. So, um, and I think it's just a word that's thrown around our industry with, with very little, um, yeah, with very little description behind it. It like with, with working with clients, I think a lot of people say CrossFit is functional fitness. Um, if I'm working with someone that's 50 years old, oh, okay, we're going to do functional fitness because making make you more functional. Oh, here's a, here's a what? Um, no, uh, I think if you're going to call it functional fitness, it has to be dictated by their goal or what they actually do in life. Not the comparison for CrossFit and functional fitness when people, people have kind of merged them together, I think. Whereas I look at CrossFit as a competitive fitness and functional fitness more to design to for that person to achieve their goal or daily tasks that they do regularly or to assist them towards that and make them, well, make them more functional. So back to that definition, um, designed to be practical. So we're making that person practical in what, what they're doing or what they need, what they need to do throughout their life. So Mm -hmm. for someone that just looks after their children, like do they need to be going in and doing some, competitive fitness crossfit style stuff or do we need to look a little bit more outside of it and look at their role and their life um are you trying to tell me you've never seen like a grandma kettlebell snatch their granddaughter like over her head you've seen that before (laughs) well yeah maybe i'm sure there's a i'm sure there's a few uh mega grandmas out there mega grandma yeah mega grandma that's what i call them um, after a can of monster that's it <laughs> I think to be fair I think I completely agree with you I think it's what people refer to as when they when they talk about functional fitness is they actually mean competitive fitness and you know I think all the, the bad press that CrossFit used to have about it initially was the like the, the disregard for uh, for form and safety over as fast or as heavy or you know from a competitive aspect versus a training methodology aspect um where i, I agreed 100 with daryl there like i guess it's something that is thrown around too much um the the functional aspect is i don't know when you know watching guys snatch 140 kilos is overly functional on a day-to-day basis apart from within their competitive environment in CrossFit versus exactly like you say, would you, do we condition our clients um, in maybe more, in a more of a kind of a metabolic way um, than maybe historical, well, when I went, then I used to do when I was kind of 16, 17 and hadn't really heard of like WODs or kind of high intensity workouts. Uh, yeah, definitely. We do with our clients all the time. Our, our gen pop client that we have in the gym is kind of mid fifties female. Um, and they jump on and off the assault bike and the ski erg and things like that, and they work. But it, I guess that's to make them more functional versus competitive with it. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could agree. Um, 
with like I like I mentioned, like I think the function is based on the goal of that person. If their goal is to be a competitive fitness, then functional fitness to them would be competitive fitness, right? Their functional fitness would be if someone's goal is to learn to run or move move or walk better, improve their gait, whatever that that their that then becomes their functional fitness in in a term is to to do the exercises or the stuff they need to improve that. Um, so I think it's all down to the specific, I can't pronounce this word, specificity. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Does that not just fall down to that as like a, as a, as a training principle, you know, like that falls into their, the individualization of their program should be relevant to that anyway, which I think, I think we're singing off the exact same hymn yeah. here. And I don't think that should be classed as like an umbrella as, as functional when it's just individualized and specific to that client. Yeah. Well, their um, it's the application of sports performance or performance in any aspect, isn't it? It's like their principles of strength and conditioning, where you can, whether it's principles of strength and conditioning, principles of sports performance, it's all about just uh, utilizing training methods to get the desired adaptation for the athlete, whatever their goal is. And that's been around way before CrossFit started or anything like that. Um, I always think functional started uh probably about 15 years ago when more and more people are doing different types of training methodologies rather than the standard like go to the gym use loads of machines and it came to a point where someone would describe an exercise that was functional if it wasn't using a machine uh, and obviously it's evolved from that but it you know anything could be potentially functional so if you've had some form of injury to your shoulder and you need to develop some form of strength when your arm is abducted out to the side you could potentially utilize a pec deck machine for that to generate some strength as the shoulder is going through adduction like you, you you look at a pec deck and think oh that's not functional but technically it could potentially use to generate some adaptation that would mm. improve the function of the shoulder so I, I, I completely agree. I think everyone's perception of what functional is is different and that's allowed for uh, this very generic definition to be utilised uh, for uh, this style of training where you, know, you could do a number of exercises which are a bit more similar to everyday movements than stuff that you would do in a, a sort of a gym with a load of machines. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So anything can be functional. Mm. Um, it, it depends what you're using it for I guess you've got to have some rationale behind it instead of just throwing the word around like that's the trouble with our industry people just chuck these words around and, and it makes them sound fancy and uh, and it, they're probably not or what they're doing probably isn't um, so we, should we yeah. for the rest of this podcast shall we start calling it competitive fitness then just to like okay we've um we've introduced this podcast as functional fitness but really it's more competitive fitness let's carry on with that and i guess the next thing is whether it's functional fitness or whatever it's called yeah it's got super popular in the last 15 years what what do you guys because you guys have more experience from like a crossfit point of view uh, what do you think has been the thing that has 
really made it so popular? Why has this caused such a cultural shift in in the training uh, landscape? Um, I want to say I don't like. <laughs> Because they're, they're so big on it, CrossFit as a brand, the community, I want to say that. I want to say that's what that's what's kept people doing it. Mm. Um, I, I've i seen it in, in places that I've been and, and visited and other gyms that I've, I've worked in before. A lot of people remain there purely because of the community, I, I find. Um and and once they're in in that in that space with other people they know and they're all in there, we say like minded, right? Um, they they get a bit frightened to step outside that, and then go and move on to something different. Um, so I feel the community definitely is what's made that grow so fast and and yeah, made it erupt in in the fitness industry kind of turned training into a club as such right so like when me and phil used to go down to club rugby club three times a week and you know like you were there in the peeing rain and the mud and like actually the reason you were there is because all your mates were still there anyway and you'd go and catch up and you'd have your food afterwards and yes we loved playing rugby but like none of us none of us had any desire to try and do anything more than to play with our mates. And it was irrelevant whether we were playing first team, second team or third team. I think very much that what you're saying, that community aspect, once you get yourself into, you know, if it's a CrossFit box or it's a gym that kind of adapts that kind of um, community aspect to it, you know, where there's classes or that, and it's more than just uh, well, even, you know, to an extent within like spin classes and yoga classes and stuff like that, I'm sure there's going to be regulars that have kind of almost turned that into a, like a club and a community as well, but that kind of club aspect to now being able to do fitness related stuff rather than just sport. Like you don't have yeah. to join a club to do hockey or rugby or football. You can go to just get fit and healthy and to lose weight and to feel better. And you can, like Daryl said, you can do that with people, like all- people that are around you and encourage you to come back. And, and you, once you're in, it's difficult <clears throat> if you see the positives from it i miss those rugby days so much i don't miss the rain and it was definitely i had that serious knee injury had the surgery for it and came back desperately because i wanted to play come play back back rugby with my mates so clearly it's something incredibly strong it's almost a combination of an individual sport and a team sport yeah it's like a merge between both because you're with, you're in there working on your own, but you're around the rest of your team. And I think that's what is keeping people. The only trouble with that is every, after seeing the games and stuff like that, everyone in that team then believes that they can be uh, a super high competitor and they don't want to step out and do the individual work on their own. Um, which... I don't right now it's probably not a problem, but maybe maybe in the future it could be the downfall for it because class based stuff people may not be progressing as they should and it's because they won't step out and do it on their own. I don't I don't know. But um, is, this, is this why CrossFit say there's a difference between CrossFit and the CrossFit games? You've got the CrossFit games, which is the sport, and then you've got CrossFit, which is their methodology to training to improve uh, your healthy lifestyle. Functional health. 
functional lifestyle functional games let's start, let's start that now the functional games I'll get an Instagram account going get you shopping from the car to the front door go for time <laughs> no, yeah, I think, and then it's match some canned beans into the cupboard <laughs> yeah. I, I think, uh, nailed it like I think there is a big there's a big difference and even like you know on the very 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 small scale that I've kind of seen it you know you get I loved training in a gym in a class where you know even though the workouts aren't tailored specifically to progress you as an individual for your goals or things like that you know you're in there you're around other people they're kind of pushing you on. There's certain people you know that might be stronger at deadlifts or stronger overhead, and you're going to kind of use them as a as a guide to kind of help you gauge and and see where you are at that time. But then, but that's it. Like because 99.9 percent of that community that that's that's what they go to the gym for. That's it. Right. And if you have any desire to push on further than that, and you're trying to rely on, and it's something that I've made a big point out with myself. I don't apart from my family who I need their support to make availability for me to train and do what I do. Like I don't rely on anyone else in order for me to have to go and train. Um, because I don't want, I don't want to be put into, into a position where I get let down by someone else who's meant to be either help me out or, or become dependent on somebody else. But also on the flip side is that I don't want to, be that for somebody else. So that makes sense. I don't want to have to motivate somebody else and drag someone else along on something that I've got to focus and put my energy towards myself. Um, and I don't, it's the same at any elite sport. When I was coaching golf, like you get very, very good junior golfers that get down to scratch handicaps or, or sub scratch. They're playing off plus one, plus two. And they're playing junior golf where they're within their golf club. They're within their mates, their families there. They've got no expenses. They've got no life stresses. They've got nothing going on. And they're very, very good being a big fish in a little pond. But for them to then progress on and become good regional players, turn professional, actually put their mortgage on the line to compete on a week to week basis. Like it's, although the actual, <laughs> the actual sport is exactly the same. There's nothing different. The golf course hasn't suddenly changed because, you know, you're now a professional and you were an amateur. All of a sudden the demands coming from that individual and are they prepared to almost step themselves up a gear and do the things that they weren't doing before, most so kind of from a self-motivational perspective. Um, so I used to see so many decent junior amateurs that did nothing by the time they'd come out of the back of university because all of a sudden life got, got too real. Yeah, I guess, um, well, it's sacrifice, isn't it? Yeah. You've, you have to, you've got to be willing to make them sacrifices. And if you're not, then you can't moan for not getting better. It, that's, that's, yeah, that's my opinion. If you, if you're, if you're going to moan or blame someone for not progressing on some individual stuff, and potentially there's some sacrifices that you, you haven't made to, to get there, if that makes sense. I've never relied on anyone for training. I've always done it on my own. Um, regular where I only train with someone that might be Phil. It's, that's very irregular really. Um, but yeah, I'll just, because I, I guess I know what I want and I know what I need to do. Um, and that's what Are you, you're okay with that as well? Like you're, yeah, yeah. 
I'm I'm fine. Like if there's even times I go in the garage at home, I haven't got any music on. I'm just training like in silence, doing whatever it is, just happy, kind of cracking on. Because at the end of the day, if you want to improve, I think uh, Matt Fraser was uh, quote to say like it was something really simple. Like if you suck at squatting, do you think squatting like once a fortnight is going to make you better at squatting? You know, like or do you need to? be doing it you know at least twice three times a week something running if you're crap at running do you think only running once a month is going to make you better at running and it was like well in if you're not happy with the progressions that you're making in a class environment where you're relying on someone to do your programming for you and you know and then and it's not specific to your goals and what you want to do then i don't think you're in a position to kind of moan about it unless mm-hmm. you're prepared to go and do something about it and i think that's where people need to make their decision of well what are they doing are they are they recreational trainers who go down to the local gym to have fun at half six in an evening for an hour after they've switched off from work or are they wanting to or is it a, 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 like a life goal for them to squat 200 kilos and that's really really what they want to do and they're going to spend their free time kind of like putting that towards that on top of what they've got to do on a day-to-day basis you know they're going to be motivated to go and do that and if so the programming down the local gym from your CrossFit level one coach or your, your level three PT potentially isn't going to cut that for you. Well, um, cause you guys got into CrossFit or found out about CrossFit in similar rate ways, right? Like Matt, in one previous podcast, you described how you watched the, um, the rich Froning documentary. And that's like, oh, this looks really good. I want to try this. And I'm, I'm sure, Daryl, you said something similar about Rich Froning as well. What was it about that documentary or Rich Froning or Rich Froning in CrossFit that made you think, okay, I want to try this, this new sport? Well, I'll, I'll go first. I loved everything as a kid, like sport-wise. There wasn't one school sport that I didn't do. I had five PE kits because my mum was just like, I'm not washing your PE kit like twice a week for you to go. I did I did something after school every single day of the week. Whether it was like, I used to take the mick out of people for playing field hockey. I was like, field hockey, isn't that a girl's sport? Like take the mick out of it. But I played field hockey because it was something to do, you know? And it was like in sixth form, I even gave netball a crack because they had like a, a sixth form netball team. And, like there's not something I wouldn't have done. And then, yes, it was like I watched Rich Fronin's uh, documentary. And was like, this looks wicked. It wasn't the individual. It wasn't him himself. It wasn't you know, if anyone that, if anyone that's seen it and he talks about how like he based his whole diet off like chocolate milk and, and basically not eating peanut um, butter. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure on that, but I think it was either that one or maybe the 2015 games, which was like the second documentary I watched, where Ben Smith had said that he had always like he had always done like all the sports and CrossFit was a combination of everything for him. Like you can't, and that was me. I was very much, I was captain of the rugby team. I was captain of the basketball team. Like, but I was all right at all these sports. I never really pushed on. And even though I turned professional at golf, even that came out the back of injuries playing rugby and, and kind of, I, it just kind of fell on me. So I was never really that like next level up, but I was pretty handy at everything. So when I saw about CrossFit and was like, Oh geez, you know, like there's there's gymnastics elements, there's uh, aerobic elements, there's strength elements. You've got to learn to Olympic weight. Like I was just like, man, this looks wicked. Like where do I? And where I'm working now, the gym I coach at now, I was actually a member of. My best mate uh, owns it, and I basically said to him, I was like, look, I'm, I've got to leave here because I want to do all these wicked things, 
and you can't cater for that. Like I want to learn how to do a bar muscle up and a ring muscle up and do a handstand and like that just looks wicked. So for me, it was the, it was almost seeing that a combination of everything I wanted to do actually went into one little package and that that was what kind of attracted attracted me to, to CrossFit from a sports perspective versus a training methodology. I never, it never pulled me in. It's like, oh, we train everything in varied ways and different time domains. And like, that never interested me. I was like, I want to know how I can like get into some kind of competition and not look like an idiot whilst I'm there. There's definitely something very attractive about training like a, a generalist and trying all these things, you know, being good at lots of different things, but not necessarily being amazing. And I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, we grow up loving sport and we put a lot of our time trying to get better at sport. And usually by the time we reach sort of late teens, we've got a rough idea of where we want to sort of focus our energy on. It might be rugby, it might be whatever sport. Uh, and then you get to a point, especially in your mid to late twenties, say, where you hit a bit of a crossroads. One, you could have experienced a lot of injuries and want to try something new. Or two, you realize, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to reach the heights which I originally thought I was going to get to. Um, so then you're like, well, I'm not going to, yeah, get to that point. So why don't I try lots of different things? Because I, I like training. I like doing a lot of different sports. Uh, is there something that in, incorporates that? And all of a sudden, CrossFit comes out where, you know, it's a combination of weightlifting, gymnastics, uh, endurance running. It's, it's a little bit of everything. So you get all these um, sort of athletes around that period in their sort of competitive career thinking, oh, this looks really interesting to me. This, uh, this satisfies the need for trying lots of different sports and I don't have to focus on one massive area. And then in turn, you then focus in one sport because that sport and conference in incorporates a number of different sports. Yeah, spot on, mate. That's that's. Oh, I, for me, that's. I'd, I'd maybe say that's more for um, Matt because he, from a sporting background, from myself, I wasn't really. I joined the army. All I did was run. Um, so I think to get into CrossFit for me was more the competitive side of it. I've never really been massively competitive, growing up. Um, never. I didn't really participate in many sports as I said to you at the start Phil before we recorded like swimming was the only real thing and then it was like I was rollerblading BMXing and skateboarding from Tony Hawk <laughs> um, but then I joined the army and once I'd gone through training um, and I, I was really just enjoying fitness like getting fit seeing how far I could push got to my unit I was I was very much well known because of my fitness um, and I would run a lot. I would go in the gym, lift some weights. I'd run a lot and go back and forth from them. And then I saw, I don't think there was a documentary out when I started CrossFit, um, but I saw some videos of Rich Ronan. I was floating about social media, I think. Um, and then I just started YouTube in it and I was like, actually, like I'm, I'm, I feel really fit. I was, I was nowhere near the standard of these guys because of the combination of stuff, but maybe on an individual event, I could have held my own, but if, a, if it was a single modality, but who knows back then. Um, and I was, 
I was just like, well, I can, I love doing fitness and now I can do, do it and compete it with a combination of everything, not just going and doing a cross country race or some orienteering or something, which is the one thing I did in the army that was competitive, but, um, as well as the normal fitness tests that you do with other people, but I can now combine it all and do it all on my own. And that, that's kind of what pulled me into it, I think. And just, I guess a bit of a, the way they looked, I, like it was like, well, I want to, I want to look as jacked and as fit and as these guys, because I was quite slim when I, because um, I'd done a lot of running. I was just, my legs have never really changed. They've always been fairly big. I was just like a pair of legs, no upper body, and I just was like, I want to look like that, and I love fitness, and I'm going to compete in it. Let's give it a go. And then, I think it was like 2014 the Battle of London, it was called back then. It used to be a CrossFit event and they put out some qualifiers. I never entered it, but I'd done some of the workouts and I was like, actually, I'm doing really well. Like looking at the leaderboard, comparing myself. I wasn't I wasn't on it, but I was like, well, I'm doing all right. I'm... And then, yeah, I met a physio where I was working in the army and we started training together and that was it. From then, just got sucked into it. We, we really miss that competitive need, don't we? Well, as mm. soon as that competition goes, we realise just how much we miss it. Um, I, I'm sure, I mean, thinking of a different sport, and obviously you know, me and my wife do quite a few obstacle course races, and you really do see the, the habit in age categories, so like every five years, so like 20 to 25, 25 to 30, 35 to 30 to 35. And the most popular age categories are 30 to 35 and 35 to 40. And you start to think, well, why that age you know what about all the younger generation which are like fit and healthy and you start to realize that yes cardiovascular gains take a while so usually you, you tend to peak a little bit later in life like in your early 30s but at the same time probably a, a lot of the people that are doing the races are those people that played sunday league football for most of their young life got injured or something happens, start a family, they can't do it every week, so they stop. And then they realize, oh, I need something to, you know, sink my teeth into. Oh, I can do one of these races. So they all come to these obstacle course races, and that's where those age demographics get so get so full and competitive. Um, and, yeah, I guess, like, what you're saying about competition, like, well, that was one of the things that lured you in. I think everyone has that. Even if they say, oh, you know, I, I just do it for a bit of fun, deep down, you know, we're all competitive beasts and we, we like it, even if we're not going for the uh, top honours, we like being in a competitive environment because it's like, oh, I I finished here. I finished here relative to everyone else. That's quite interesting. Maybe if I trained a little bit more, I'd finish a little bit higher up that ladder. Um, yeah, people people like that. And I can understand, and I think a lot of people that get drawn to, to CrossFit are looking for that competitive need, that competitive itch to scratch. Yeah, I think it's kind of instinct, right? Like mm. to be competitive over generations. Like life is is competitive. It's, I mean, it don't even have to be fitness. It can be going for a job, an interview. You're you're, you're competing with other people there to get that job. Like, so I, I think when someone says they're not competitive, you're lying to yourself there. You're just trying to make it sound 
You're, you're trying to, ju- yeah, you're trying to justify it if you lose. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I only done it for fun anyway. I'm not competitive. Well, that's that's bullshit. You, you're just trying to make it sound better because you lost. Um. That that. Putting excuses in place, yeah. For when it when the uh, inevitable happens, yeah, and I I think you see it's it's we kind of like as a culture we're trying to change that. Like you could people go to these these races and these obstacle course races and you get a medal for finishing. Um, you, you, Mate, I right? deserve a medal for finishing one of those. <laughs> like, get away from me. <laughs> I mean, look at look at children in schools. Uh, people may have a very people may hate me for saying this, but everyone gets a certificate. Whether you're first, whether you're last, you get the same. Look, that's not how it works in life. I'm afraid. They, they, like, they don't do parents races anymore. Right? They don't do like a dad's. They don't do a dad's like. Really? Yeah. Well, they didn't at um, my daughter's school at, uh, at Beacon. Speak. At Beacon, where we went, Tyler, um, they got rid of sports day. I don't know if they brought it back, but they did get rid of sports day because, you know, they didn't want to, the people that were losing, they didn't want to hurt their feelings. Yeah. So they are at Mia's school. So she's only at primary school, mind. So it's only up to year six, but they split all of the kids up. um, So you're not even racing against people in your same class. So you might have a couple of people from your class, but you're basically, you've got all like all four years worth like mixed in. So you've kind of got no, comparables that makes sense mm. so yeah it really takes away that and then i was there like got trainers on i'm stretching myself off ready to go <laughs> ready to go on this brand new 5g this brand new 5g facility that they've not even broken in properly and uh yeah there's no there's no dad's races i was like oh. <laughs> i'm going home <laughs> me <Yeah. I'm> <laughs> off you're challenging <laughs> the other dads to arm wrestles on knee competition i will prove <laughs> i'm the dominant yeah, exactly. Right, I'm going to get the barbell out of the car. We're snatching. You, you're snatching. Let's go. <laughs> um, but no, I think you're, you're right there, Dad. It's that at the, the last box I used to train at, and I'm still a member there now over at Uckfield, like they're, they're not a competitive box. And what I mean by that is that there's not many people within there. They're very much gen pop, go in there, you know, and, and wicked. And I'm all 100% all for that. You know, the service that they provided my family when um, when we had had our youngest one and Sam was back training six weeks later and the coaches got Chloe in like a baby carrier whilst coaching the class and Sam's back was unreal. But I, for me, it was tough because I wanted to compete and I wanted to, like, I wanted that extra push on. And it wasn't that there wasn't any encouragement for it, but there wasn't any, um, when I asked to go up a level with it and be like, right, let's see, there, was, there wasn't a, a service that was available for it. So I had to go elsewhere and, and, and find someone that basically could help me to become more competitive as such and more competitively fit um, within it. And I think it's very much that that fear, not the fear, I'm not saying that they're fearful for, for losing, but I think it's that, especially from a generational perspective, I think competitive fitness was never something that the mid-50s, I guess, could ever imagine was going to happen. You know, like maybe a bit of, maybe a bit of 
track and field style stuff was like where you know it's kind of was a little bit more kind of level level playing field but but you'd say to mid 50s or late 50s mum to get in the gym and all of a sudden she's now got to do a workout for time which is basically the same as the 18 year old boy that's next to her that's fit as a fiddle like you can kind of understand why she might not want to like be compared to him but so I'm not sure if it's a fear of losing, but just maybe not installing that kind of self-confidence to them and, and maybe out, maybe highlight yeah. some, some person, you know what I'm trying to say? So maybe highlighting some personal um, uh, lack of uh, self-belief or something like that, which is why they never went that extra step with anything, any sports and stuff that they did. Yeah, I think CrossFit already does that though. I think it it automatically forces you to compare yourself against other people because you look at the whiteboard at the end of the day or whether they've got an app for it, everyone's results are in there and you're always going to be trying to chase the next one, comparing yourself to another. And sometimes that can be like mentally draining. Like I've, got, I've got a friend, I've got, Phil knows him, Phil's met him, but he's really... He really hates CrossFit now because of that. He, it puts so much pressure on him to try and chase certain things and certain numbers, even as even in like just general classes, because you put that clock on, it's it, it becomes a race, it becomes competitive. So when CrossFit say that they're trying to uh, make it a CrossFit for the community and the the general people, and then CrossFit Games. On, on a psychological standpoint, I think it's very similar. You're, you're still, you're, it's turned into a race as soon as that clock goes on. And that can breed some really bad habits. Some people will start to cheat. Some people will lie, um, which I'm sure happens. The liar um, from your gym, Tyler. Yeah. I won't say, no, I can't actually remember his name. But. Yeah, won't mention no names. But yeah, but he does, 100%. And actually, we see it in, a, in, in our gym. We, we don't even do CrossFit. We don't coach CrossFit. We still see like where there are certain individuals that are used to getting off the bike first or finishing their air squats first. Or, you know, they're like, they're just all finishing their burpees quicker. And if they're not one of the first ones to finish their burpees, you watch them. And I, and I promise you, you'll see the competitive nature in them. Like they will shave a rep or they'll shave their depth on their squats or they'll do whatever it takes to try and just get like a little bit um, back on ahead and even if they're the first one to finish a fun little we're doing two minutes as many burpees as you can do in two minutes let's go you know they just want to be the winner of a class of 15 other people that actually really are not interested in how they don't even know how many burpees they've done so they've not paid attention to it but there's still people that want to that want to do that and I think there's a new, I've seen a few boxes that have started and I don't know if CrossFit level three encourage it or if it's, if there's a level four that they encourage it, but a lot of boxes have started not um, putting like RX. So like RX being like the Latin um, definition for like the prescribed way that that workout was designed. A lot of boxes have stopped putting like RX scores on the app and, and on their whiteboards. So it's like, this is your score for that workout. And a lot of workouts are now being written up where they're not writing them. So let's say traditionally, let's say Fran, which was 3159 barbell thrusters and pull-ups was designed, was it 43 kilos for men, 42 and a half kilos in the UK generally and 
30 for the ladies, I think it is. Yeah. Um, where now it's like, well, you're going to do Fran, but we're not giving, you know, you, you decide what you want to do. You pick a weight where they're not forcing people to go down there. Well, this is what the original weight was designed to be for that workout. It's like, no, well, what are your goals? If you've got strength goals, you know, maybe you want to go a bit heavier or if you want, you're going to go a bit lighter and try and move a little bit faster. So they've tried to almost avoid that, that kind of competitive, I'm doing the same way as a guy over, over the hall from me, over the gym from me, but I'm more advanced than he is. And all I'm going to do is make him feel really unfit or vice versa or, or whatever. So, there, so there's, there's ways they're trying to avoid that. I feel like there could be a big issue with that though, when it comes to coaching, because yeah. you're, they, you may as well just be a programmer. Uh, here's a workout. Um, you can decide the weight. And then they say to you, oh, what weight do you think I should do? Well, I have no idea. I don't work with you on a, on a personal level. There's however many members of this box. Uh, yeah, you just pick your own weight. Um, well, it's going to flip it the other way, surely, and go like, all of a sudden, you've made every single individual's programming so personal and bespoke. You need to remember that Jill over there wants to get stronger. So maybe actually you might have to say to her, Jill, you're going to tailor your rep scheme and we're going to go heavier, but you're going to go 12, nine, six on your reps instead and do the, do the normal. And all of a sudden you're going, Oh shit, without making note of exactly who's coming in and what, like I've got to, I've got to try and keep on top of people's yeah. individual programs because I've not kind of given them a rough a template to work from. Yeah. I I had to supply some CrossFit classes for the place I um, used to work at as like a that was my hire so I could use that facility almost I would I would have the same people in the same because I'd have the same times and um, I always had an older lady come to my lunchtime class um, I know she plays tennis a lot and I would I would give her a completely different workout. And she would always feel good leaving the gym. She'd go and play tennis. She'd feel amazing. She'd come the next time. She and I think she really loved coming to my classes that I was coaching because of that. Um, and and well, and they're the, they're the type of people that are really good when it comes to the CrossFit stuff because they want to listen. They whereas others will see that workout and it's like, nope, that's it. I'm doing it this way. And they won't listen to the coach. But not blowing, not blowing smoke up your ass a little bit there. But do you not think that's your, you, we're assuming that every single coach out there has got the same um, ability to not just blanket deliver a session to everyone there. Like you've, you've, you've seen that you've gone, okay, well, I know this lady, if anything, she's got absolute value for money because she knows that you're going to look after her and her sessions. But if, 20-year-old Joe Smith comes in through the door. He's just watched the games and done his CrossFit Level 1 at the weekend. And he's like, right, right, love, you're doing 21-15-9, 80-kilo clusters. And, oh, you can't do it. Well, unfortunately, I've not got a workout for you today then. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's where there's an issue, right? Yeah, 100%. I think it's definitely down yeah. to like, and it's, your passion for it. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I only give her the individual treatment. I have the same people. I had the same people every class and I would give it, I would offer it to them and I would give them advice on why 
and I'd give them all the rationale behind it. But some don't some don't want to listen because they're so caught into that competitive CrossFit mindset, if that makes sense. Whereas if you just take a step back, take some advice off of a very not not I'm not talk, just saying about me, but yourselves. Like if you take some advice off of a competent coach that's got some experience in the sport or and in coaching, you might actually get that bar. You might actually be able to do this workout in six months time with, with the bar muscle ups or whatever it may be. Um, yeah. But like you said, there's the guys that's 20 years old, gone and done level one because they've watched games come in. And I, I, I don't even want to say coach a class. I want to say supervise because and then sometimes that is what I felt like um, because people wouldn't listen. They're like, it wouldn't give me, it wouldn't give me the satisfaction of practicing my craft. Um, and sometimes that's, that's where there could be a problem with CrossFit. I think from a coaching aspect, definitely a lot of CrossFit boxes will now advertise for a new coach to be like, and listen, I, I only, I was level three qualified as a PT, right? But it was like, you either have to be a level three qualified PT or a CrossFit level one coach to come and be. A, and, I, and I always kind of felt like, hold on, I don't mean to be funny. I think I paid like 1500 quid and I did mine from distance. I was doing it from a full-time place of work. It took me like six months, nine months maybe to get my level, my level two and my level three from a PT as like a, stepping stone to then go on and did my British weightlifting uh, pre and post NATO and pushed on from there right but or you can go on your weekend course for your CrossFit level one and you've got the same you've got your advertising for the same vacancy in that spot and I think that's where CrossFit like you say will potentially shoot itself in the foot from a coaching aspect and why they potentially may still keep that rep, that, that bad form reputation for longer than it needs because of it's having a, an instructor versus a coach, I guess. Is that the best way to kind of explain it? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, definitely. There's a downfall in the coaching. I think on one of our podcasts before me and Phil mentioned it, that the, the spectrum so so far um you either get a really poor or you get really good there's no and i, I guess it comes down to passion um some people won't want to do their level one because they loved the crossfit as a sport and then they're offered free gym membership because they coach a couple of classes so it's like yeah win-win um but hmm. or instruct a couple of classes should we say what <laughs> I don't know if we know the answer to this, but what's the insurance uh, issues with this? So if like, if I'm a gym owner and I'm creating job specs for people and I'm saying you need a level one CrossFit to coach here, usually one is you perceive that qualification to give the coach the necessary skills to do what you want them to do. And two, that your insurance will cover them. But it's hard to think that an insurance would encourage the insurance would cover someone that's done a course that lasted a weekend. So I know of um, I know a story. I can't mention no names. Top secret. Um, I know a story of a person that went to do their CrossFit level one, and they failed their level one, 
and was due to start coaching at this gym under the level one, uh, under his level one qualification the following week. Failed his level one that weekend and was planning to and was planning to redo it. Um, in the meantime, he went online and paid, I think it was something like 27 quid to do an online level two fitness instructor course. And then it was a bolt on like 30 quid to upgrade that to a level three personal trainer. That was all online. Got his certificate sent to him by the end of his two hour, like online multiple choice exam that he had done. So he's got a certificate within this two hour window of first Googling how I can do this. Then use that certificate from a, um, was it, is it proactive or, or there's a, I'm insured by a, I've got personal uh, insurance, like I'm sure you guys have as well. Um, whatever company he's used has provided that certificate as his insurance that covers him for up to 10 million quid um, under this 56 quid total PT online insurance. So he's covered and the gym don't insure, don't insure him. Like he, gets his own insurance mm. work at the gym. So mm. so we go back to qualifications and like literally, so someone's in there coaching people how to do US kettlebell swings and, you know, like barbell snatches and, you know, like kipping butterfly pull-ups and all stuff like this after 120 minutes worth of online reading of some anatomy and physiology and covering a basic bit of nutrition. That's scary. Really? I think I, I think if you if if down the line you were then to end up injuring someone, I think the person that the person that gets injured and they if they knew about this, they could have a real strong argument, and and well, it could it could potentially close the gym because of that. I um, think within that community vibe, though especially if that person's been within that community for a while, would that person want to be the person to complain and make a complaint and be known within that gym as the person that's... Because I don't you think, like, well, under my experiences, you just get injured doing CrossFit, right? Like, you get shoulder niggles and, like... But you laugh, you know, you're laughing because you know it's true. Like, that's just the approach that a lot of places have. You, you know, you just... You just get injured sometimes and that happens. You know, I pulled my back doing deadlifts. Ah, you can't have warmed up properly. Yeah, but I did what you told me. To, yeah, but you probably didn't hinge properly. Oh, okay. But I've paid. Oh, it was too heavy. It was too heavy. But, well, you didn't You didn't tell me otherwise. <laughs> that's, <laughs> the, that's the weight on the board. What? Yeah, do you know what I mean? And it's like I pay my 60 quid a month to come in my one coach to 16 client class that I, that I coach at and, and all of a sudden one slips through the net that I don't know about. Like, I don't know. We, we seem to be, now we're kind of picking it apart. There seems to be a lot of, uh, <laughs> I hate CrossFit. I'm quitting. <laughs> no, there seems to be a lot of issues within, I think the, the duty of care potentially, the duty of care to the athlete, the member, the client, however you want to look at it. Yeah. The only issue is, I think, you know, it occurs in CrossFit, but I think it occurs in many gyms throughout the, throughout the country. So um, these are issues that uh, are quite broad and not just focused on CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah. This is, 
like that's why you're head of the podcast phil the, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, i think it's as as the industry the industry itself across the board um I'm not saying that I'm the best coach in the world. I'm not saying any of us are the best coaches in the world, but it, a level three PT certificate just isn't, doesn't cut it. And it's so easy to get, like you just said, Matt, um, 56 quid and a couple of hours of reading. Like he's then qualified to have somebody's, be in control of somebody's health and well-being. Um, so he better he better know what he's fucking doing. Um, yeah, otherwise, you could cause some long term damage for for that person or the people that you're coaching. Uh, so yeah. it's definitely a, a serious issue. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Shall we? Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you guys: it's moving towards more the uh, competitive side of CrossFit, competitive fitness, or, or whatever we'd like to call it. Um, do you think it will ever make uh, the Olympics? Well, they're, they're trying really, not CrossFit itself, but there is actually, there's another... Um, fitness Racing it, Federation. Yeah, Fitness Racing Federation are, they're really trying to push it towards that. And um, they've got like competitions running where nations face nations um, in a teams and, and individuals so you have to qualify and then you go and compete at the world fitness racing um, but each at the moment they have they got like each event is broken into like they, they break up like six different modalities like yeah six yeah to try and to make it not so random and crazy basically um so each one has a specific um, test. Mm. So there'll be an endurance test, there'll be a gymnastics, there'll be um, a strength uh, and, and, and a few others added in like a mixed mode of one, which will be, which will look like a typical CrossFit workout um, or CrossFit as we know it. Um, right, so, yeah. I, it seems yeah, like the best standardised ways to test what people call fitness or what fitness all encompasses. You know, strength, endurance, all of, all of the different components you kind of mentioned. That seems like a more standardised way of doing it. So, yeah. I if, think that is. I think that is a great. On paper, we're going to test you on a bit like a, a bit like the NFL, like a combine. They're going to like you've got speed, you've got skill, you've got you know, and you're just ticking off a list as you go. But then I think where CrossFit's great from a competitive aspect is, and sometimes it gets a little bit kind of sadistic and it gets a little bit like plays into his own dirty kind of um, fantasies. But Dave Castro, who, who obviously programs for the games and is director of the CrossFit Games, like that, the un, that unknown element, that kind of like that humanized element where it takes away from, I know what the workout's going to be. I know how this is going to pan out. I've, I know what my split time is on a rower. So if you give me a 10 K row, I know how long it's going to take me. It's all within my comfort zone because I've trained for my endurance. Well, all of a sudden, and I'm sure we'll touch on it in a second, but going into this year's CrossFit games where they made them run a three mile trail run, you know, and they, and they didn't tell them until they crossed the finish line that they're halfway through and then to go back and do it again. Now, <laughs> Matt Fraser, the guy that won 
was the only one out of all of the athletes that tested it, was the only one who won that first run and then actually won the total race. Every other athlete that, that demoed that, um, that workout, the guy that won the first three miles did not, uh, did not win um, the, I don't think they finished above fourth when they tested it. Yeah. Uh, but then are you testing fitness? Or are you testing mental strength and their resilience? Like that's where that's where, that's where like the the fitness racing federation. Sometimes it could be it can be right because it's a specific test and there's you know why you're doing it. Sometimes in CrossFit it's like, well, what what are we testing here? Like because ultimately all of it is endurance. <laughs> People think CrossFit is not an endurance sport when well it is really. Um, you're doing 10 plus events over a couple of days it's if you've if you've not got the endurance you ain't you ain't surviving day two or even past day one some sometimes depending on what it is um yeah so on that three mile run then turn around when you think you finished up go on run back is it is that testing fitness or is it testing um somebody's mental strength and messing with people's heads because we've all been there when well I know in the military sometimes it was when you do something and then it's like well we're not done yet you think you're going to like on some of the the group marches and stuff you'd be walking back in towards camp and then the the PTI that was taking it would take a right and you'd be like fuck you just so yeah I, I don't know I guess there's different ways to look at it but that's just I mean, there's, there's a huge mental aspect with any type of sport because it's such a high intense competitive environment. Um, obviously, you're adding different layers to it when you start saying, do this, and then, oh, no, you've actually only reached halfway. Um, I can understand the whole, like, what are you testing? Because that change could completely supersede any physiological um setup that they have which made them win the original event hmm. um but i guess yeah that, that racing federation it sounds like they're you know trying to standardize it to make it almost like a competitive fitness version of the heptathlon or the decathlon um so because for years everyone kept saying oh crossfit's not a sport it's not a sport it's just adult pe or whatever banter that people use for that sort of thing whether you, if you have a particular set of rules, like it's no different in, or very, not very much different in comparison to the heptathlon or the decathlon, the more random you, you get with it, I guess you get more towards the CrossFit games. But, you know, they chain all the different physiological aspects of fitness, but there might be a greater mental aspect to it because of the sudden changes or if they withheld certain information about the events um it seems to entertain a lot of people what did you think of the uh most recent crossfit games just going off what you said there with regards to like standardizing it and making i'm sure now you might know a bit more about this or maybe not but so over the last with the changes that has happened within crossfit hq full stop mm -hmm. And they had issues over the last couple of years with like the rules book for the year coming out, et cetera, and that type of thing, all based mainly around the CrossFit Games and your journey to the CrossFit Games, et cetera. But I know that in the last 12 months, they've done a lot of work behind trying to put together like a like an athlete's panel 
to ensure that um, let's just say like movement standards are consistent because obviously now with more sanctional events so more of a kind of competitive season within CrossFit you know a lot more events they can go to certain ways that an event is run in let's say China might be different to how an event is run in the States or down in Australia and I think the athletes were looking at some trying to put in place some kind of consistency around that so that they knew if they were doing like I think at uh, Singapore maybe or might, might have even been China it was something to do with like the locking out of a ring muscle up and they had to hold they had to show a pause at the top of the rep to show that they were fully locked out and they had to pause but but and wait for the judge to go yes rep before they could drop back down and do the next one but then in the next competition they go to they don't have to do that they can cycle through the movement site differently because they weren't held to the same standards so they were so they're looking to standardize even outside of the crossfit games it's my understanding to what i've watched and, and read anyway um is to make it more of a consistent thing across the board which you're mm. hoping it would then be kind of filtered down through national competitions regional competitions local comps whatever it's going to be like the standard of a ring muscle up is this this is how it's done at the games this is how it's coached yeah say, for instance. that sounds like a really logical idea and there's no yeah. arguments if you, you talked about earlier about people in the class that suddenly get really competitive and then they start not going to full depth on squats because they're desperate to win. Like I'm sure that goes through. People do that automatically when they're trying to desperately win at any level. So if you've got a way of really standardizing that, then that should help when it comes to having a, a game structure where the events are a bit more sporadic or that's probably not the right word they're a bit more random but yeah i think that's it's, it's so subjective because it's down to one judge's eye yeah. and another judge might see that differently um that's which what they are that's what they need yeah goal line technology on people's elbows to see if they can actually lock out the top of a ring muscle up which can make it quite challenging. Like you could put some kind of system in place when it, I don't know, as an example with chest to bar pull-ups um, that there's a sensor on the bar that actually recognize impact of the chest hitting it. I don't, this is just an idea. Um, remember I said that if anyone's listening and steals it, um, <laughs> but <laughs> that I think the best one of the best things they done was on the mo. I think it was the most recent open. To be honest, I don't really follow CrossFit on a competitive side. I would do the I would do the workouts. I don't really delve into it too much, like researching and stuff. I just look you're at what I need. You're not an anorak like me. I look at what needs to be done and then just do it. But I mean, with the open, um, I think also five sanctionals had exactly the same workouts as the open, which I thought was quite good in terms of getting the they say the fittest guys there but then at the sanctionals you also need to make sure that you're having if they go if they're the guys that are going to qualify for the games which is the ultimate test you need to make sure the tests are the same going up to that i feel and I, the, some of the the sanctions were different if i'm right uh matt with the events were different across different sanctionals but so oh, yeah. it wasn't it wouldn't be like I guess what you're trying to say is that like the open would be 
to qualify for a sanction or you have to finish within X amount of the open. And that would be like your tier one programming would look like so. And you'd have this, you know, this kind of, and then if you move up to a sanctioned event, it doesn't really matter where you are from a location perspective. You move up to, like, I guess, tier two programming to then reach the games being like your tier three at the top or how, but I think they, that's, is that not more of a localized version of what they did with regionals that they tried to kind of move away from? I think CrossFit were trying to, at the time this was, I think CrossFit were trying to hand over as much responsibility to other people that didn't cost them money. We're like, look, you run your event how you want to do it. We don't want anything to, we don't want to have to invest anything into it. We'll give you a game spot out the back of it to be branded to CrossFit and hopefully attract some more premium athletes. And then out the back, I think the first year they had what, they had 13 sanctionals. Then last year was something like 27 or something. Like they, they forecast 27 sanctionals for like uh, 2020. Mm. Wow. Or they done, or they done it to earn some more money as a brand, right? Money. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I will be surprised. I think that the new, this Eric Rosa, who was very much a kind of a fan of how things were kind of done before, I wouldn't be surprised if there was like a little bit more of a, a backward step going going down a level from the games. So almost keeping the games more of a 30-person competition. So it doesn't go to like national champions like it did before. And how there's like a level before that where you can qualify for national chat as a national champion before you then have to try and qualify to go to the games. I wouldn't be surprised if they bring in like a kind of like a regionals, but you don't go to regionals at the back of the open. You go to region or sanctionals go to regionals before they go to the games or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows what it's going to be like? When is the open? February, apparently. February. it does does sound like a lot of things are happening to try and legitimize it a little bit more whether it's crossfit or the fitness racing federation Uh, and with this all getting more and more popular who's to say that these uh these new sports can't get into big things like the olympics i think it'll be interesting over the next five years um post tokyo see how much that gets pushed um five six years with COVID, I don't, I'm not really sure now. So yeah, it's pretty. It's, it's damaged it a lot. I think this this um yeah. situation we're in now, because the majority of competitions have been cancelled or changed to to a different to a different way. Like this year's CrossFit Games, um, top five. Um, should we talk about that? Did, should we talk about it whilst we're there? Did you watch much of it, Dow? Did you? A uh, little bits and bobs of it. Yeah, I, I did. Um, I think we. I think there's. I think maybe this could be my own personal view, but would Matt Fraser have been as dominant if there were more competitors that made it to the final, should we say, or the games? Um, What's your opinion on that then? Because I've got one. Uh, I'll let you have one. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think he would have been as dominant. I don't think it would have been a whitewash, almost like what he has had, um, but. I, th- I think there's some athletes that would have been in the field that may have beat him on the odd odd event here and there. But um, go on, what's your opinion on that? Well, I completely agree. I don't think he would have done. How many events were there? Like 14 events or something? Mm. Or? I think he won 10 out of 12. Right, okay, right. So he only came second in the two that he didn't win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so from a cash perspective, what's that? It's three grand a win, isn't it? So that's, that's 30 grand he's got out the back of that. Plus his... 
400 grand or whatever he had for his but anyway um i i definitely definitely think he still would have won i don't think you uh i think we saw with the online the stage one of the games the online events that he won because he took himself to a place that he wouldn't take himself to in the game situation where he knew where the competitors were. Like if you watched the first event, which was like a traditional uh, CrossFit one, you had your 1500 meter row, you had your bar muscle ups and your shoulder to overhead. And every time he looked at where Justin Medeiros was, he got back to the bar, he rested and waited until he saw Justin Medeiros start to walk back to the bar. And once he was getting closer, bang, he jumped on, did his next set. But yes, you can say that thrusters and chest bar pull-ups are kind of within his wheelhouse anyway, but if you looked at the first event of the online comp where he three rounds of 21 chest bars and heavy or 53 kilo thrusters, the guy won the event by 50 seconds ahead of Noah Olsen. And on a documentary when he was filmed to be, how did he feel about that? He was annoyed because he he's like, I don't get any extra points for winning by so far. <laughs> so it's like, I've sold myself on that workout. I've won by 50 seconds, wicked, but I don't get like, twice as many points because I've won by that far it's still only 100 points I think he would have still won the games without a doubt but but I also don't think that any of the other five would have finished in the top five I don't think Noah Olsen I don't think Madeira I don't think the other guys would have finished in the top five you mean you mean if they had 30 competitors they had more games that wouldn't have been your top five there I don't think they would have finished. I think the events where they finished badly on, they finished, they would have been a lot worse off from a points perspective. Mm. There would have been too many people within that gap. Like you saw Noah Olsen on that first event, you know, first off the rower does what Noah Olsen does best. You know, the one guy that's been to the games as many times as he has, and he's learned absolutely zero from, uh, from his pacing strategy on the first event. But um you know, he's gone off hard and he is just absolutely combusted. And you're just thinking the amount of competitors that would have come in between him and fourth place. I know he only got 15 points for it, but and the strength event, the snatch event where he got knocked out in the first round or second round, whatever it was, he didn't even make the, he didn't even attempt the lift on the second round. How many more people would have been in between him and there? How many more guys would have been hitting that, that, later level snatches your Fikowskis your your Velners your your Willie Georges you know these guys Gerard um, exactly exactly you, you guys are jacked up on, on songs on steroids. Mm. <laughs> um, but I think Fraser the difference with Fraser is that if he's not winning those events he's he's within the hunt of winning he's in the top five you know unless something dramatic happens I think I think he's too clued up. I think mentally he's, he's too he's too switched on. He's now been there doing what he's doing at that level for a long enough period of time now that he's got the experience of other people trying to push him. He's got the experience of other people leaning on him and how to deal with your twenty-one-year-old rookies that are going to be like chasing your tail and like you know dog with two dicks flapping around. But then he's also experienced with I've done a workout like this before in this situation. They talk about all these rookies coming in and like they've got they've got no fear because they've not they've not got any negative experiences and they've got no fear. Well, Fraser's kind of only got positive experiences for the last five years. Isn't he won at every in-person competition he's done mm. for the last five years? 
which yeah. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that which means he should be complacent, but winning becomes <clears> a habit, right? Losing becomes a habit, winning becomes a habit. You kind of I remember Phil when we were playing rugby and you know, and we were playing second team at the time and we had that unreal season where we just beat teams over like by by more points than we should have done because our squad was just used to winning and we were just used to scoring. Mm. And it just built up this kind That was of, a good time. Yeah, but just, one of the best times. This. And Fraser's now got himself surrounded by like a a quality, you know, his, his missus does all of his nutrition. His uh, manager takes care of absolutely everything and runs three events, three sanctioned events himself anyway. So has got understanding on all that side of it. His training partner is the fittest woman that's ever lived. <laughs> his coach is, you know, like he's almost eliminating any possible vari- variables that can get in his way. Well, I think a lot of people that are trying to catch him still don't know what those variables are yet. Yeah, that was going to be, and I'm, I'm conscious of time now, but that was going to be kind of my last question. Just how far can Fraser and Tia go? And with asking that question, how far can the CrossFit Games go? Like, are they going to continue pushing events like the last one they had in the um, Atalanta, I think? The last one they had in the CrossFit Games where they subbed in another wad within Murph to create this super mutant wad, which looked absolutely horrible. Like, is that going to become the norm? Are those what's going to become the norm in a few years because Fraser's getting better and better. Question though, did it look horrible? Who's the only person that made that wad look horrible? Or two people? Uh, no Olsen. No Olsen, because he probably went off too hard. Carrie Pierce and Hayley Adams, the only two that made that wad look brutal. Why? Because they were the only two that were fighting for a spot. She, They were fighting between them for, for third place and the ladies. I was... I fell asleep. We were watching it in bed. I fell asleep watching it. I was so disappointed to not watch Matt and Tia go at it like Hammer and Tom. I was like, you two train together, which is wicked, but ultimately, I, this is what people want to see. They want it, and this is why you've been put in the middle two lanes. For Dave Castro has teed it up for you two to go the fittest man ever against the fittest woman ever. Let's go. And I was kind of like... It was kind of like, in the nicest way to my partner, it was kind of like doing a workout with your missus, where it was like, they were just, they just oh. got through it. <laughs> it's like, are you ready to go yet, darling? Do you want to do it a few more? Now, my arms are a little bit stiff. Okay, we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait. I'll go and get some more ice to put in my hat and we'll wait until you're ready and then we'll do some handstand push-ups. <laughs> and the fact that he's, the fact that he's still one is almost embarrassing. The fact he paced it all around Tia. But I, it was just a bit disappointing. But then Hayley Adams and Carrie Pierce, you know, Hayley Adams, I don't know if you saw her hands afterwards, mm. just exploded. And Carrie Pierce just took herself to another level of pain to, to get that podium spot. But I was a bit disappointed because on paper, it looked like a pretty brutal workout. But then actually the reality of getting 10 people doing it where only two of them were trying was like a little bit... Boring. It was a bit boring, wasn't it? And Castro always talks about how, you know, he's programming for all the different aspects of fitness, but at the same time for the spectacle. And he probably was like, ah, that didn't quite pan out how I wanted to. Also, like, you, you want to look at, like, competitive etiquette, shall we say. Like, you, you want to be, you want to show that you're the dominant, most dominant person in your sport 
Yeah, you know, go and do it. Don't, don't. Uh, come on, we'll we'll just do this together. Um, it's like, ah, come on, let's give them a show. Like, it, I don't know. You did win, like he won. So was that the best strategy? Despite not going for it, I don't. I think Golders probably thanked him. Do you know what? It would have been <laughs> yeah. To see if one of the blokes was pushing him, if if he was being pushed by someone from a pacing perspective, would he would he have sacrificed coming third in that event to do it with Tia? Yeah, because he his was never like no one, none of the guys were pushing him at all. But Tia wasn't catching up with Carrie Pierce, and I can't even remember who came second. Was it Catherine came second in in that last one? But mm. would Fraser of sacrificed his first place. I would have liked to think that he wouldn't have. I would have liked to think that, you know, he's the most dominant man that's been in the sport. I would have liked to think that he would have gone, Tia, look, I'll catch you at the end. <laughs> I'll catch you in 10 minutes. I'll just quickly finish this bit off and beat these lads and I'll, I'll meet you at the finish line. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was, I was a little bit disappointed because he actually also said it in a couple of, um, a couple of events before that, when he was being interviewed and he actually finished the interview with saying like they were saying uh, the lady was asking questions like you know obviously it's getting closer now where you can't be caught and that makes you the fittest man in history and blah 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 and he's going look I don't think about any of that stuff yet I've got another competition and she's like how do you motivate yourself to go you know to go into the to the next event and he's just like oh that's easy you know I just want to win every one of them like uh, as soon as the event starts it's a brand new start for me I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to win that event and it was literally like one or two events before Atalanta that he had said that and then he went into that last one and I was just a bit like mm. oh, this is a bit I want to see you beat Carrie Pierce. I want to see you beat all of them you know like don't just don't just back off but so for me it was a little bit of a downer on the way to finish it so much so that I genuinely did fall asleep watching it in bed <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I understand. Like, if there was multiple events left, that you might, you might be, you might do it like that and save some. You just, I mean, you just do enough to either win or remain the leader. You know, like I get that, but um, <laughs> you know, it's going to be the last one. I don't know if they did know that. I, did, I didn't watch any commentary really, but then just show that you. That the the whole thing was a walk in the park. If you want to be, if you want to, sh if you want to show that you're the most dominant, like if you look at, like you said in the online, um, so part one of the games and the online events, like he had to put himself in the hole every time because he did. He had no idea. Um, yeah, you can look at it multiple ways. The guy on the snatch. Um, Knew he was going to finish second. Jeffrey Adler, was it? The Canadian? Um, no, Samuel Quant, yeah. Um, he knew he finished second, but he still made sure he'd done that lift. He yeah. could have, he didn't need to do it, but um, like that kind of stuff is, is nice. It's not, if, if it's a spectating, it, well, it makes it a spectacle, right? People want to see how far, instead of someone walking up to a bar and like, nah. Well, no, I'll just go through this. I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm knocked out anyway. I'm not gonna. Yeah, you'll almost. Still, you'll still watch the Buttery Bros uh, film on it, though. 
you can you can catch up on what like, you missed when you fell asleep during the, the party last, last couple of the last couple of documentaries they've done where it's they've just kind of taken away i think it goes back to um the one with uh, ricky gerard and it was all it was kind of the whole documentary was around the his, drug standard like, yeah you know and it was it kind of took away still like personal still go back to if you anyone gets a chance to watch the first one 2015 it was like it's still i thought by mile like the best documentary you get so much like actual games footage and i think 2014 i think like youtube has like a two hour long documentary one that they didn't release mm. on film where it's basically all like behind the scenes stuff where you're with them warming up and they're chatting to the athletes and that type of stuff which was almost i thought was much better than last year's documentary i thought was naff oh yeah that would there was one that wasn't done by the Buttery Bros, wasn't it? It was just a selection of episodes, which were a bit dull. There was something that came up. It's been a bit all over the place over the last few years, as you can imagine. Yeah. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how it all goes. Like, so we, yeah. You, to answer your last question, then how far can they go? Um... I guess it depends how the sport changes, if it's going to change over these next... Granted, Fraser's an absolute... Uh, he's, he's an amazing competitor, very much um, is good in that environment. But I think maybe some changes to it could could um, upset things. Who knows? Depends who gets to the... It gets through to those next rounds, however it's going to be play out. Like Matt says, you, it might come back to uh, the national kind of level and then maybe um but he's so good at doing it on his own he's that's he just at the moment at the moment he likes too much of that as well i don't know it's like yeah. two three occasions he's been caught out like making comments about i think he said one of the things that used to motivate him when he was doing intervals on a rower and he said he stuck 10 grand of cash on the head of the on the unit of the rower and sat there rowing looking at his 10 grand of cash as motivation and they actually had to mute the microphone on the snatch workout on snatch ladder. They had to mute it because Jeffrey Adler had given it all that, basically saying he's going to hit the last snatch, look across the floor at Matt Fraser as he drops the bar and beats him across the finish line. And it was those him, those two and Samuel Quant in the last heat. And Fraser's looking across and he's going like this and the camera's looking at him. And he's going like this to, uh, to Jeffrey Adler. And uh, the camera like muted it and then like just couldn't <laughs> off him quick enough. So, you know, like, you know, the guy's a competitor, definitely, but there's still a massive element of uh, whilst he's earning, you know, kind of cash yeah. out, cash out whilst he can, you know, cash money. And will the sport survive if he's constantly at the top? Will it be interesting to watch? Will people enjoy it as much? I don't know. Um, I don't think it stopped its progression over the last five years with him dominating. So. No, but if it's for another five. Are we just going to be watching the battle for second and third all the time? Just can't imagine this sport having that kind of longevity. We could have like a Federer who's dominated from like 21 to 38. I can't imagine someone dominating CrossFit that long. It's no, oh, uh, yeah. At elite level, there's almost a, it's it's a different 
what it's I different, saying, different sport. Yeah, like what I was saying about golf, like, you know, you can get very good, like, like well, for you, you as well, Daryl, like you can get very good, like national crossfitters that are like, man, this guy's fucking, like, we talk about Zach George and stuff like that, UK's fittest man. I don't mean to be nasty, Zach George, he's a big old guy. He's strong, but I've seen the guy power snatch 125 kilos, which is wicked. But Fraser's like snatching 130 kilos, after snatching 125 kilos, after snatching 120 kilos in a 20 second window, like at elite standard. So it's almost, it's all good. I guess my point was being is that like for guys like Fraser and stuff where they've come into the game, I don't know, like what, seven, eight years. He's, he's been competing for seven. So probably nine to 10 years he's been doing CrossFit like as a, as a competitive athlete but yet he's spent 70% of that time at that elite standard. So what he's, the way he's morphed his, his um, game to stay competitive, as much as you'll get these kids like Justin Medeiros coming through who are 21, who are obviously very, very good athletes, there's going to still be a window of time where they've almost got to get up to that standard and acclimatise to that standard before they can look at any longevity in the sport. Does that, does that make sense, what I'm trying to say there? Like, yeah. as much as Justin Medeiros is only 21 and he's coming through and you're going, cool, he's got years ahead of him. Like, I don't think he's going to reach his peak to be in a position to knock someone like a Fraser off his mantle for the next three years, as a for instance. I can see yeah. that. There's like CrossFit elite level and then there's Fraser level. Fraser set the bar much higher, so it therefore takes longer to get to that high bar. Yeah. I mean, you look at the likes of, I don't know, like Goodmanson, Koski. They've been in the sport for so long too, but they're still not they're not at the, the level to take Fraser off the top. Um, so, time will tell. But there's What's more... You- there's more younger kids now coming through surely that are going to be able to get that experience earlier on. Like I say, like Medeiros, like what, Fraser was 23 when he made it to the games. He's 30 now. So that's seven years. So yeah, it was 23 for so Medeiros, someone like Medeiros has already got two years on him. Hayley Adams is 18, 19. So she's, you know, by the time she's 21, if she continues to go to the games, she's going to have like three, four years worth of games experience but when I started, I started CrossFit at 28 or whatever it was, you know, like there's almost a small part of me that's looking forward to kind of competing at the 35 to 39 because I feel like I can go to an event and chat with all the other dads about how we all used to play rugby together and this is where mm. we've kind of ended up. Mm. But at the moment I can go to a comp and I look to my left and there's a kid that's 18 next to me and I'm like, oh, makes me feel old. <laughs> yeah, uh, on the flip side to that, it also could be, too early, right? Yeah. If the, if the games and the sport is progressing into the, the type of workouts that, are, that were there and you're going at 18, it, like, you, are you going to reach your peak at, say, 23 and still not be at the top and then that's you, your 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 CrossFit career potentially done or, um, or you're going to get someone that's a little bit older that's just been sitting quietly coming at 25 and, and they've put years and years of work in for one games to try and take the top. Who knows? Um, 
What's your opinions, Phil? I, I have no idea what's going to happen. I think I think they'll keep pushing the boundary. Um, now that because people fit, I don't know, but I'm sure people look at CrossFit and they can kind of see where the ceiling is, but then Fraser keeps moving that ceiling. So it would be, you'd assume that that ceiling is going to hit sometime because they're not going to have like snatch ladders of like 180 kilos when they're having to train for everything else. So where's that ceiling? And will, you know, are we going to be programming to the point where only one person actually makes it to that level that can achieve or get near that ceiling? Um, and then, yeah, do you program for that? Or I don't know. I think because they create the games very differently each year i think you could hard, you know, castro can do whatever he wants and you know if he doesn't want to push it that way he doesn't have to he can push it a different way so who knows what's going to happen because they've got that freedom to do that do you here's one for you both do you think some of the other athletes have the potential of fraser but during competition they just can't unlock it like sarah sigmund's daughter yeah um, they just can't handle that environment as well as Fraser can. I'd say no. I think Fraser's so economical in everything that he does, as in how he moves and then logistically how he trains. Uh, I'm sure other people are doing that. But if you get like a Velner watching press, you know, his press does not look nowhere near as solid as a, um, as a Fraser's press. And I'm not talking about load. I'm talking about sort of shoulder elbow position as he's pressing. So it's probably not as economical if he's not as economical. Though that sort of movement, he's not going to be as economical in thrusters. He's not going to be economical in the, in the jerk. Oh, well, well Fraser's already better than him. So I, I think it's, yeah, the mental side is um, important. But I think they've proved that they've got pretty good mental fortitude anyway because Velner's come in one competition he's won uh, events at the CrossFit Games he's just not as good as Fraser yeah okay <laughs> Alex yeah Fra Fraser's yeah maybe he's just one of those one of a kind things uh, people and we, we actually see another Fraser in a few years time but who knows because Fraser, because the sport's new, Fraser's tailoring the sport to his needs in a way. Everything about it, you know, we spoke a couple of weeks ago, you know, with your goats and your greats of all times and how they've kind of like, they've morphed the sport into a complete new, not just a new generation, but a new kind of sport within itself. I had listened to a, an interview that Fraser had the other day with the uh, the morning chalk up. And as he's been interviewed, uh, the company that sent him his mattress to the hotel was taking his mattress out of the hotel and it's going across the lobby. And uh, is it, who's the guy that used to, um, that owned uh, team sky, the cycling. David Brailsford. And was it, was it his, his quote to say that he's look, basically looks to improve something 1% every year. Yeah, he popularised the idea of marginal gains. Right, that was it. And it was like that these guys would have, like, he would supply uh, Team Sky with a certain pillow. And it was a certain, like, and it was like everything was, to, wherever they went, they eliminated 
variables of like what could happen and Fraser I don't know if this is just because of all these companies that want to get on board and help him out and you know like because he's the poster boy but he got contacted a couple of years ago and every event he goes to this mattress company send him an, a, a mattress to for him to have at his hotel which is the same mattress that he has at home and he has the same like one of those alarm clocks where it, that lights up the room um, as it progresses. So he wakes up at the same time and he has the same routine and he's got these coffees at night. Basically everything that can be ironed out. And he's, he's said about this games and he goes, as much as what Daryl said with regards to the endurance side, it is definitely an endurance sport. Um, he was saying at that standard, it's their ability to recover as an athlete, how they can recover in time for the next event, whether from a, dietary perspective and I don't think where Fraser's got it at the moment and whether that's him as an individual because of the team he's got the advisors he's been given around him there doesn't seem to be any stone that he hasn't turned in order to eliminate the variables that could kind of undo him and I don't, I'm not saying that means, you know, I'm going to go to a premier in with my missus and we're going to have separate rooms because I feel like that means I'm going to get top 25 tomorrow and she isn't. Like, but point being is that, like, that's kind of where he's trying to take the sport or, or not even intentionally. That's kind of where the sport is going. You know, the top are having to look after every single little element of what could potentially make a difference. Mm. Josh Bridges with his oxygen chambers that he was in and Brent Fikowski with his flotation devices, you know, all these athletes looking at ways that they can just gain that extra 5%. Because as much as I agree with you from a uh, technique aspect and anthropometric aspects to certain individuals are going to be able to do certain things that others can't and stuff. I mean, from a, from a skill aspect, there can't be much dividing these guys at the top. Like there's got to be minimal, like, pull up cycle time for someone like Fraser, who's like four foot five might be a little bit quicker than someone like Brent Fikowski, who's six foot, you know, like things like that are going to play a part in it. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sure Brent Fikowski can still link together hundred unbroken pull-ups. Matt Fraser can still link together hundred unbroken pull-ups. The skill aspect is still there, but like the, those changes, those gains are going to be made from a, from a anthropometric aspect that almost can't, I think Castro said this year, he said like CrossFit's almost becoming a non-big man sport as much as it kind of never was a big man sport because those things start, because the athletes are so close that those things are starting to make a difference. Your speed in which you can cycle your pull-ups is making a difference. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, lads, we've been going for nearly two hours, I think. <laughs> Good stuff. Really enjoyed that. I definitely think that we really tackled the functional issue. Yeah, straight from the off. And it will be definitely it will be interesting to see how CrossFit or competitive fitness develops in the next five years. I think the next five years coming out of COVID is going to be really crucial. Uh, and I definitely think we've we've touched on areas where the factors are going to be um, make or break and how it progresses. So we shall see. We'll have to look back on this podcast in a few years' time. And see if we were we were correct. We we highlighted key areas that made a big difference. Those chest to bar pull up sensors. See yeah, exactly. Mate, patent that now. <laughs> patent that now. Get that money in. Get that money out there. Get that developed. But you can't let opportunities I'm, like that go. I'm buggered if that thing comes in as well because there's a reason I wear like oversized t-shirts. 
<laughs> yeah. I just use my nose. Yeah, but I so I can't my, actually reach that high with my chest of Wear four heart rate monitors on top of each other as I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I normally use a weight belt to hook myself up there anyway. So that's my muscle ups. Anyways, guys, next one soon, yeah? Roundtable three coming soon. See you later, mate. See you guys. Yeah.